as they are uh, heading out. Uh, hey, Junior, while you're up back there, buddy, could I ask you a favor? Um, my water is missing. Would you mind getting me just a little something? Because uh, if not, it's going to be a dry sermon. Sorry. I just love that joke. It never gets old. It doesn't. But getting old, I'm getting old. Listen, I apologize ahead of time. I have the crud, so I'm not going to try to shake too many hands. It's not contagious. Don't have a fever. But anyway, uh, we've got hand sanitizer in the back. Everybody use it. It's that time of year. All right, please, for all of our sake. I think this stuff has gone through our church. Like, what are we on the third round now? So everybody use the pump. Me and Mark uh, Gentry were joking that, you know, we ought to do like the Catholics when they all line up, come and take the communion. We just do the pump instead. You know, everybody comes up. And so then we could have open fellowship. Um, yeah, pray for me. I, I, Dean, you almost got a call this morning, you and Nate. Uh, I was uh, kind of going back and forth as to who I was going to hit up at the last minute. To Us preachers understand our motto we live by is be ready in season, out of season. Preach, pray, or die. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Preach, pray, or die. You're right, brother. So we always keep a, a, a message either tucked in the back pocket, hopefully in the heart, but, you know, it's in either one of the two places ready to come any minute. So... Uh, but uh, I'm okay right now. Let's hope we get through this. And, uh, but anyway, I, I, I understand you all have been where I'm at. So let's just keep praying for each other. We are in the book of Colossians. And uh, we, I know we've been here for a while putting on the new man. But let's just be honest. Isn't that where we live? I mean, that's the Christian walk. We live in putting on the new man. None of us have arrived. Okay? Uh, I don't care what our uh, Facebook pages present. None of us have arrived. We all have issues. We, we all are under construction. Uh, you know, we, we all fall short daily. We all struggle in different ways, right? Your struggles are not the same struggles I have and vice versa. Um, but the great thing is, as believers in Christ, born-again believers, we're not in this in our own strength. We're not journeying through this without any map or any help. We have brothers to help us. Bless you, my brother. Thank you. Oh, and he even put ice in it. Man, you wanted it to be a chill sermon too, huh? All right. That's it. <laughs> Double his pay. Double his pay. Thank you, brother. And so, again, when, we're, when we, we come to this in Colossians, this is one of the reasons why we're, we're camped out here. This is a very practical section. And I don't know how you feel about it, but it's like I could read this chapter every day, multiple times a day, because we stumble daily. And so this is why when we've been looking at this, that Paul emphasizes that above everything else, you know, put on love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And I think family understands this better than anyone. Because in your house, under your roof, in your immediate family, let's just be real, sometimes mamas and daddies have a little feuding. Sometimes brothers and sisters have a little go at each other, right? But hopefully at the core of that family is a love that overlooks those things. Now, when I say overlooks, it doesn't mean that we excuse wrong, because wrong should never be excused. But we don't turn our back, we don't abandon, we stay faithful to, we continue to strive with, we continue to love one another. 
And so think about the context of what's going on in Colossians. Paul is writing a letter because he's heard. He's in prison while he's writing the letter. He writes Ephesians and he writes this one at the same time in Philemon. And so he writes all those letters at the same time. But he's heard about some of the potential problems in the church. Now, in his case, it's a doctrinal. And so he puts everybody on notice to be aware because we need to be aware when there's doctrine coming in that's going to change things and cause division. Now, that's a serious thing. And so Paul definitely is not condoning to overlook that kind of thing. But I think when we get here, he's also reminding the reader, the believer in the church of Colossae, that in the midst of trying to have Christ as preeminent in our life, and most importantly, Christ is to have preeminence in the local church, um, that these schisms that were on the outside trying to get in or perhaps some of the potentials inside, that he's reminding the believer when it comes to the fellow believer, we need to make sure that we love one another. And that doesn't mean you don't disagree from time to time. We all disagree. Just like I said, in a family, uh, I'll never forget a counselor I had in school um, in one of my uh, counseling courses in college. And at first I thought, I don't know if I agree with that. But then the more I chewed on it and thought about it, it's like, dude, that was brilliant. He's right. If you don't have conflict in your marriage, you don't have a healthy marriage. And I know some of you are saying, well, we got a healthy marriage. <laughs> I don't think that's what he meant either, all right? <laughs> but when you do life together, whether it's in a marriage, a family, or in a church, let's just be real, it's messy sometimes, isn't it? Ministry is messy. We hear this phrase all the time, but it's true. And Paul knows this. And so in the midst of addressing wolves trying to come in, which is a very serious thing and we have to address, he also wants to season that and couple that with a reminder to the believers that they don't harden their heart to those around them and to the sake of ministry. And so I, I think it's important for us to, to be mindful of this. And, and so I think God's camped us out in Colossians 3 because let's just be honest, we're in sanctification. If you're a born-again believer, you're here today and you're a Christian, you were justified the moment you received Christ. God declared you not guilty. Your sin's forgiven past, present, and future. They're removed from your account. If you went and checked the account, you went and checked your bank account of sin, zero balance to your account. Because Jesus paid it in full. That's the whole point of the cross 2,000 plus years ago. He paid it in full. Okay, He doesn't have to keep paying it. It's paid. It's done. It's finished. And so that's why when Paul says in Colossians, um, he's been talking about uh, if you've been crucified with Christ, all right, he says if, if uh, you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not the things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so, again, he's making this reminder to those believers, and we make that reminder here this morning. Zero balance on your account. But just because you've been declared not guilty doesn't mean that we don't still trip, stumble, struggle. And of course, the first John 1 John 1.9 is our Christian bar of soap that keeps us clean. Therefore, you know, if you, if you sin, you confess your sin. We keep short accounts on that. All right? And, and so we need to confess those sins. We need to 
turn from those things and, and not live in those, not practice those as a lifestyle. But we're in a sanctification process. And that simply means and from justification to the time God returns and appears and, and that and, until glorification happens, we're under construction. And so Paul wants to kind of remind us, we need to show grace to one another. Um, because love covers a multitude of sins. So with that said, uh, let's dive into the text today. And uh, let's just go ahead and pick up our reading in Colossians 3, in verse 12 through 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, I'm definitely reminded of uh, the passage of in our weakness, uh, your strength is made perfect. And Lord, I, I'm dependent upon you as I always am when I step into the pulpit. But Today, in a physical way, Lord, just ask that you will strengthen me as I proclaim your truth. May Christ be exalted. Lord, may our eyes be upon you. May your word find root in our heart that it would dwell richly within us. And Lord, help us in our daily walk to put our mind on things above. Let us seek those things above. Let, let our minds be set on you, not on the things of this earth. Lord, forgive us, we fall short. I'm grateful for this corporate gathering today as we're encouraged to um, just remember the one another's of, of Scripture. And you've put this body of believers together that we might be an encouragement to one another. So Lord, may you be exalted, may we be edified, and may we go out of here to evangelize. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to focus on this morning, the peace of God. And as you know, in going through this chapter, we've looked at some things uh, picking up in, in, in the continuation where we've kind of been in recent. We looked at the image of God. We talked about the elect of God in verse 12. Uh, we talked last time about the example of God in verse 13. We also ended uh, last time on the love of God. And we talked about the importance of that as well. And that kind of continues on in, in this morning's message. And so we're going to camp out here 
on the peace of God and talk about that. And then we'll conclude, hopefully, this section, kind of wrap it up and move into um, the family, uh, Lord willing, our next go-round. So uh, I encourage all of us, uh, if you're married, if you're going to be getting married, Carly, uh, some of you guys want to come in next. By the way, congratulations. Um, husbands and wives, we're going to be talking about that. That's next in our text. So some good reminders, some good learning. Anyway, getting into the family next. So uh, that's where we're moving on from here. The Word of God. Well, let's, uh, again, we talked about the example of God last time. We talked about bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And, and again, in the context of what's going on in Colossae, I think this is an important reminder because, you know, sometimes it, it, it can be, if we're not careful, if our hearts aren't guarded, uh, we Christians have a tendency to turn our guns on one another. And so we talked about this word meaning uh, to bear with one another means to endure. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes you just got to endure each other, right? I don't mean you got to hang out at Christmas time and do Thanksgiving together. That would be great if we could, and we should have a level of that fellowship in Christ, right? That common bond in Christ. But I recognize people are different. There are differences. But God says we're to bear with one another. And I, and I asked you last time to think of someone who maybe comes to mind that has hurt you, harmed you, and you've yet to forgive. Guys, that is a jail that you keep yourself locked in. And Christ came to set us free. And if a holy God, a loving God has forgiven us, who are we as a sinful man not to forgive another sinner? And so again, I remind us all this morning, search your heart. If Christ has forgiven you, if you desire the forgiveness of Christ, but yet we can't extend forgiveness to those around us, something's wrong. We watched last night, I don't know, any of you seen the Mr. Rogers movie with Tom Hanks? Anybody seen that? Anybody? I'm, we're the only ones? No one? Y'all are laughing at me because I watched Mr. Rogers. What's up with y'all? It was actually a very good movie um, on forgiveness. And uh, yeah, um, some of us in the house, I, I won't say who, was moved to tears, but... <clears throat> But, hey, it was though, it was, it was worthy of tears. It was a great movie. But again, it highlights this point. And if, again, if you don't know, the, you know, Fred Rogers, under my understanding, was he was a Presbyterian minister. Uh, he was a, a Christian. And you could see that in the movie, though Hollywood's never going to capture that. But you could see the, the things that he was exemplifying throughout the, throughout the film, more importantly, throughout his life, were things that we see here. Tenderness, kindness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiveness. We talked about uh, Spurgeon, and he said, suppose that someone had grievously offended any one of you and that he asked you uh, your forgiveness. Do you not think that you would probably say to him, well, yes, I forgive you, but I, 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 I cannot forget it. Ah, dear friends, that is the sort of forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It's a lame forgiveness. It's not worth much. And so we talked about the example of God. I'm going to skip through these. I thought I sent uh, Carver an, an updated version, but I, I guess I kept that one in. We'll pick up from here. The peace of God, verse 15. Notice this text, if you would. So again, Paul's been saying, hey, you're hidden in Christ. Seek the things above. Put off the old man. Put away those sinful things. The idea was taking that old garment of sin and casting it aside. 
I'm a new man. I've been set free. Y'all even heard my footsteps on that one, didn't you? Because I'm walking a new path. I'm headed in a new direction, right? And that's the idea Paul's wanting to get to here. He says, look, man, you don't need to live there anymore. Those filthy garments need to be cast off, and we need to put on the new man. And so he's gone through that, and then he comes to verse 15, and he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I hate to bring this up, but uh, I really don't hate to bring it up. Uh, Duke University. So, anybody catch that Wake Forest game? Anyway, I, just, <laughs> I didn't shut up. We got one more with y'all, and we're going to get killed. But anyway, that's for my father-in-law he, and, and Rhoda, I find out now, and my wife. They're, all Duke, uh, they're not Duke fans. They're definitely not Duke fans. Uh, Wake Forest fans. But no, Duke University did do something good. They did a study on the peace of mind. And they found to contribute greatly to emotional and mental stability are, so, so again, keep in mind, there, what, what are some things that, that bring mental stability? What are some things that, that bring emotional stability? And so they did this research. One thing, the absence of suspicion and resentment. Okay. The absence of suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. Is that one of the reasons why maybe you're unhappy this morning? Resentment? Suspicion? You're not letting that grudge go? It's a major factor in unhappiness. Number two, not living in the past. An unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. And, and it's true. If we camp out on, woe is me, and I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm that miserable failure, I, I blew it, and, and we stay there, that's not healthy. That's not emotionally healthy. It's not mentally healthy. It's not spiritually healthy. Number three, not wasting time and energy fighting conditions you cannot change. Cooperate with life instead of trying to run away from it. In counseling, I find one of the biggest problems is people don't want to deal with the presenting problems. They don't want to deal with the issues. They definitely don't want to deal with the root cause. And again, no one loves conflict. I know your pastors, I've heard the talk on the town, that I, you know, I don't, I'm okay with a, with, a, with a good conflict. I hate conflict. Now, I recognize and I've come to say to God, this is my hardwiring, all right? Some jobs require a hammer, some require a scalpel. Don't hate me because I'm not a scalpel. Right? Now, sometimes it's helpful to say, hey, we don't need the hammer right now. Let, let's get the scalpel over here. I, I'm good with that. I understand that. 
But we have to recognize that all of us are diverse, and, and, and that's the beauty of Christ, isn't it? That in the body of Christ, we all have differing gifts, and we're all unique. And so the important thing is finding our place on the team and everybody playing their part on the team, recognizing our strengths, not our weaknesses. Because if, if you want to capitalize on my weaknesses, you'll be here all day, and vice versa. But in order for the peace of God to rule in our heart, there's certain things that we need to come to understand. And so sometimes, according to this, this research, cooperate with life instead of trying to, to, to run away from it. Guys, sweeping it under the rug is not going to solve the problem. Avoiding is not an answer. And that's the number one thing we run into a lot of times in counseling is avoidance. People want to avoid it. That's why they'll show up for the first session, but then, you know, they don't come back for the next or whatever. They don't want to deal with it. And yet that's the one thing we have to do. We have to talk about it. We can't just ignore it. It's not going to go away just because we pretend it's no longer there. We must be able to reason with one another. When I became a born-again believer, the, this passage of Scripture, the idea of, you mean to tell me a holy God Knowing my sinful past, knowing the, the, the things I have done, still says to me, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be dark as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. That blew my mind. That, that God would even want to talk with me and... Yet alone offer that grace and forgiveness. So again, I remind us, why can't we do this with one another? We are called to. And Paul's reminding the folks of this type of thing. Number four uh, the, of the Duke University Peace of Mind research, force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Resist the temptation to withdraw and become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. Again, we've seen this often. I'll never forget my wife. I won't name any names, but one time we, we had been dealing with a situation, and there was a lot of deep depression. There was a lot of issues going on, and, and they had kept blowing off the, the meetings, and so we took the meeting to them, and we went to their house because we weren't going to let them keep avoiding us. I know. That's a, see, that's why I got that reputation. But anyway, <laughs> but I was proud of my wife. It was her this time. She walked in that house, and it was dark, and I mean, you might as well just had the sappy music playing, and you know, woe is me. And my wife walked in and said, well, no wonder you're depressed. Look how dark it is in here. And she went and slung the curtains open. You know, you just love that, don't you, when you're just dark and you're trying to, and she just opened up all the curtains around there. We need, you know, and, but that's the truth. That's, we have a tendency to not want to let the light in. And so when we're dealing with emotional problems, when there's issues and anger, whatever the, the, the stress of life is, we don't experience the peace of God because, let's just be honest, we, we love our misery. A sad story, true story. When I was a kid, I was a sappy little kid. Um, I, I was. I was a sappy little kid. Uh, I, I was a, what do they call it, the key lock, chain lock kid? Latchkey kid. Yeah, I knew there was some key or latch in there somewhere. Yeah, I was one of them latchkey kids. Now, for a short period. Now, my mom was home a lot, but there, there was a season of my life where I was a latchkey kid, and the TV was my babysitter. And, oh, man, I was a soap opera junkie. Isn't that, I know, isn't that crazy? I think that's probably why, as a new believer, I don't like drama, because I had enough of it as a teenager. But, you know, the breakup would happen with a sweet little girl in eighth grade, and I'd play my 45s, you know. 
want to be. You know, and, just, and you just soak in it. And, and that's what we do as sinful people. We soak in it. Why do we soak in it? That's not the answer. That's not the answer. So definitely don't, don't, don't have that self-pity. And that's number five. Refuse to indulge in self-pity. When life hands you a raw deal, accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow and misfortune. Suck it up. Build a bridge. Get over it. I know that sounds harsh, but guys, this is reality. We're either going to keep our hearts and minds and emotions centered on things of the earth, or we're going to seek things above. We're either going to let this world and its circumstances and its happenings happen to us, and woe is me, or I'm going to let the peace of God rule in my heart. Number six in this research says, cultivate the old-fashioned virtues. Cultivate. By the way, if you've ever done any farming, you've got to cultivate the ground, right? And it just doesn't happen. It's work. It takes work. God says, I've worked in, now you work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work to earn salvation, but we work from salvation. And so cultivate the old-fashioned virtues. Love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. I think loyalty is something that we have lost in our society. There is not loyalty anymore. There was, a, there was a day when loyalty meant a lot. And we don't seem to have that virtue in our society anymore. I mean, there was a day, I remember I was, we had some videos recently we found in the attic. We had them put in digital format. And, and, and in the video was my grandfather and my grandmother holding uh, Faith as a little baby, which is hilarious. Uh, but anyway... And, and so, you know, it was just cool to see my grandfather and my grandmother who have now gone to glory. And I noticed my, my grandpa had a watch on, and I wondered, I wonder if that's the watch he got, because I remember as a kid he got a watch because he worked for General Electric. You remember this? There used to be a day, you were you're 25 years, 50 years with a company, you'd get the watch or you'd get a toaster or whatever, you know. But it was a way of awarding faithfulness, loyalty, I mean, almost everything in our society now is a revolving door. You know, we're two years here, we're three years there, and church life is no different. And that's sad. I think we've lost loyalty and the, the understanding. Does, does loyalty in your marriage mean that your spouse is always right? No. Does, does loyalty in your family mean that sometimes the kids don't blow it and and, and, you know, but you don't kick them out, right? There's a, there's a connection. There's a faithfulness to one another. There's a loyalty to each other. And again, how important is for the church of Colossae and the church at Community Baptist Church in LaGrange and the church in the world today to get back to understanding that our calling is greater than our problems and our differences. There must be a loyalty. And God has designed the local church in a certain order. He's established that, just like He's established the home in a certain order. He's established the government in a certain order. And we don't have to like everything that goes on in those institutions, but we have a responsibility in our response in the midst of those issues to submit to our head and to one another. And so for the peace of God to rule and reign, we need to understand these things. 
Number seven, they said, do not expect too much of yourself. When there's too wide a gap between self-expectation and your ability to, to meet the goals you've set, feelings of inadequacy are inevitable. You know, sometimes we, we have too high expectation, right? If anybody understands that, it's a visionary. Yeah. I might have ten visionary ideas and only nine of them, uh, or nine of them are going to fail and one of them might work. And sometimes I can, you know, not careful, repeat some of those other numbers. So don't expect too much uh, in that is one of their other findings. Number eight, the last one, find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Self-centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness. But guys, God's more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. And I believe when we understand what Paul is saying here about the peace of God ruling in our heart, not only will it produce, most importantly, the holiness in our life that he desires because the sanctification process is chipping away, chipping away, which we've got to allow grace for the growth as we go, right? Not shooting our wounded as they fall. But eventually that holiness is what leads to joy. And joy is deeper and, and eternal happiness is based upon your happenings. But I believe happy comes from that. Blessed is the man, right? Uh, and, and so we can, we can also experience happiness in the midst of these storms of life. So let's talk about this peace of God. You know, the oldest manuscript here in this verse 15, look at that again when it says that. The oldest manuscripts uh, read the peace of Christ. Well, there's a good apologetic argument. You, you know, well, where in the Bible does it say Christ is God? Well, some of the oldest manuscripts actually had that transcribed there as, as Christ. I'd use that as a definite argument uh, on this. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, Philippians 4, 7. Let's, let's take a peek there real quick. What does that, that one say? Let's go, go take a gander at that one. Philippians 4, in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And of course, we know this is a popular passage we, we quote oftentimes about being anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will rule in your heart. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, I find it interesting that here in the context and the flow of this, peace follows love. Again, if you're not experiencing peace in your life, maybe we need to start with love. Maybe we need to, again... Allow Christ to rule and reign in our heart and visit the subject of agape. If you're having trouble forgiving someone, if you're having trouble with loving someone, ask God to soften your heart towards that person. Pray for that person. Pray for them by name. Think of them in another context. 
Think of them as a father, if you're a father. Think of them as a mother, if you're a mother. See them as a child, somebody's kid. Again, oftentimes we're easy to dismiss others and build a wall or a void when really we should look upon the multitudes as Christ did with compassion. And then that moves us to action. The idea here of the peace of God, and it says, let it rule. Notice this phrase again, look closely. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This word rule literally means sit as an umpire. Now, we talked about a little bit of this earlier in Colossians in chapter 2. I think it was uh, verse 18. And in that context, it's using a compound word. So the root word is there that, that helps us understand that it's kind of like an umpire, but it's a compound word. And it's in, that, in that context, it was speaking of false teachers and, um, and, and, and you know, kind of dealing with, with those evil passions and so forth and, and, and the need to restrain them. But again, here, <coughs> excuse me, it's the idea of an umpire. Let the peace of God be as an umpire in your heart, as a referee, right? Now, I, I, I have to apologize. My referees in my youth league, they get an earful. I'm just being a coach. I'm just playing my part. I'm, I'm really like a Coach K I just, without the language. Um, look, again, don't hate on me. I, everything, I grew up, man, basketball, you know, we're in the ACC country, Tobacco Road. I mean, it's just, and so it's intense. I'm the Bobby Knight minus the throw in the chairs. Everybody I learned under, it, look, uh, it was not uncommon for a coach to grab me by the jersey and be in my face and yelling and spitting on my face. I never once questioned his love for me. He knew the potential within me. And he knew how to get that out of me. And I never once, never once questioned. That was just their style. Everybody has a different style. You'll see some coaches uh, in the ACC, and they're just quiet. They never say anything. They just do this. They'll walk over and they'll whisper something over to their... And then you'll see that other guy just going crazy. I, I'm just saying, I'm that guy. So I feel for and I apologize to my referees because they get an earful. And that's part of my game. I work the, I work the sideline. Josh, you can probably appreciate this. You know, I work the sideline. It's like, hey, look, 32. 32's in the paint too long. You know, hey, hey, watch 14. He's walking. He's traveling. You know, but that's part of my game. That's playing a game. If you play Monopoly, you play by the rules, right? You play, play by the rules. So the other day, I got a very practical understanding of what this passage is talking about. This passage says, as an umpire. And so what you got to understand, the context of this word, this word, to understand this word, is the only time it's used in the Bible. Okay? I said there's a root compound, but as far as this word by itself alone, it's here. And so to find out what it meant, you had to look at the culture of the first century church. And the understanding was, there in this area, there was... The Isthmus Games, it was, you know, kind of like it led to the Olympics. This is where we get our Olympics from. It, it, it kind of birthed out of this season in Rome and the Colosseums, and you know all that stuff. Well, within the track of these Colosseums, there would be a platform in the center of the track. 
And on that platform would be a seat known as the Bema seat. And the judge, official, would set upon that and would rule and reign and determine whether or not somebody was disqualified from the race, whatever event was happening, if they were breaking the rules, if they were doing something that would gain an advantage to help them win. That is not according to the rules. He would disqualify them. Now, we could go into that a whole lot more because there's a lot of other implications, the Bema seat and that whole, but, but we're not. So, with that picture in mind, back to the other day. Some of y'all were there. It was exciting. Seth, quote, that was the most exciting basketball game I have seen in a long time. I agree, brother. Caleb's a worthy opponent. He's coaching. They got us down. Eva, bust the shot on the side, man. Ah, the crowd's going crazy. It's, it's just like intense in the gym. Well, we ended up stealing the ball. We had to throw the ball inbounds. Immediately, the rules of the game. Six seconds on the clock. We have a rule in our youth league that you cannot pick them up full court. Hey, i got to compete with the rules. The rules say... You can't pick my kid up full court. Eva! I'm yelling like crazy. Throw the ball back court! Throw the ball back court! She's getting ready to inbound. It's right there where everybody's going to mob. And they throw it into Karis, and Karis is standing way back there in back court, and then here comes a kid getting ready to just plow my daughter. And I'm yelling. They can't do that. That's against the rules. That's against the rules. they got to get back. they got to get it back. So my refs made the right. Guys, if we want the peace of God to rule and reign in our hearts, the only way we can do it is if we understand how we are to run this race. Paul uses athletic terms. John Calvin uses another athletic term here. He, he in citing this in one of his commentaries, talks about it's like a wrestler. Anybody see the North Carolina girl? that just won this, this week? Yeah, first girl ever to win, and she wasn't transgender. I'm saying a real girl. You got to clarify these days. She was a real girl who won first place state champion in, in, the, in the wrestling in North Carolina. She's from my hometown. There, there's a new school, right? Literally, I used to swim in Uari. That's probably what's wrong with me. But anyway, there's a Uari charter school there. And she, she representing... Good old farmer in North Carolina, woo! Which I could have already told you, you didn't mess with the girls. In our <laughs> when I talk about don't drink, chew, or go with girls that do, yeah, now you understand. But anyway, that's what she won. So John, John Calvin says, hey, it's like wrestling. In wrestling, you would compete to subdue your opponent. And if you did, if you were victorious in subduing your opponent, then you would achieve the laurel, the crown you would be a victor. So with that understanding of this word and the idea of letting Christ rule and reign in your heart, think about this for a second. We have to let the peace of Christ act as an umpire. Put off. By the way, 
uh, for full disclosure, I, I was rightfully so addressed. Pastor, you might want to dial it back a little. Thank you. Yes. I can understand that. So y'all pray for me. I'll, I hope to dial it back. But tee me up. But give me a warning first, please, Tyson. Please give me a warning first. That's part of the game too, right? All right. Um, but this idea of the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, acting as an umpire. So when it comes to anger, when it comes to envy, when it comes to these things trying to rise up within us, we, we've got to restrain them. And the way we restrain them is not in our own strength. It's through allowing the understanding of Christ, who He is, His Word, to restrain those things. Self-control. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Amanda, they were working on a play at Wayne Christian School, and she was telling us about this. I'm, I'm kind of excited about seeing it, but it was, kind of, it was a great idea. So this little script that they're going to all dress up the little kids as superheroes, and each superhero represents a fruit of the Spirit. And, and self-control, I guess, has lost its way. <laughs> Isn't that the one that's going to lose its way? <laughs> we, yeah, we can all understand that. So... So again, it's, uh, but when we, when we begin to think about the idea here that we are in a race, we are in, a, 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 in this life, in this journey, in this sanctification process, and so in order for us to get peace in our life, to get peace in your marriage, to get peace in your circumstances, you're never ever going to experience peace in your life if Jesus Christ is not sitting on the seat of your heart. We're not. And so we turn to everything else. We turn to Oprah. We turn to the bottle. We turn to drugs. We turn to our friends. We turn to people who, who agree with us and, and, and try to, yes, 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 and tickle our ears. We turn to everywhere and everything except for the Word of God. And so let Christ serve as an umpire. Now, Dr. Jack Arnold makes this. He says, in the context of this piece, it's related to the body of Christ, the church. Don't lose sight of context, 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 context. Paul here is addressing the local church. And so he's saying to the local church, you need to make certain that peace is ruling in your heart. Let the peace of God, the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts. Don't take my word for it. Look what it says. To which also you were called in one body. If you're going to have unity in your marriage, if you're going to have unity in your home, we've got to come to some understanding, right? And it's not my way, your way, or the highway. It's God's way. And the same thing within the church. We're going to have conflicts. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have differences of opinions. We're going to have differences of philosophy. But again, God has established the home, the marriage, the family, and it's to be done decently and in order. And He's established the church in the same manner. And when we disrupt that, when we try to take a role that's not our role, or we try to um, uh, do things that, that's not best for the whole... This is where we lose sight of. This is where we become self-centered. We're told to be thankful as well. But 
Let me finish the quote Dr. Jack Arnold said. In context, this piece is related to the body of Christ, the church. In all inner conflicts, disputes, uh, and differences among Christians, Christ's peace must give the final decision. Nothing should be done to violate this peace. We're told to be thankful. When we experience Christ's peace, there's always a great thankfulness of heart. Ligonier Ministry says this. It says, not so much individual decision-making, but corporate. So again, the idea of the local church being in, 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 in view of this quote. When church elders, pastors, um, other uh, committees, bodies make a decision, their choice should enlarge, measure, be based upon what will bring peace to the church in the matter without compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ. Similarly, as individuals in the body, we're to make choices about what we do and say based on whether or not these actions will bring peace or create unnecessary conflict. And so again, this is why it's important that you pray for your leadership. You know? There are oftentimes conflicts, there are oftentimes things that we have to sort through and deal with that you have no clue. Yeah, you might hear a part of it. There's always two sides to every story. you got to trust that our government knows the whole thing, right? Not what the media tells you. Now, I don't have to like the government, but I have to submit, and I need to pray for them, I need to support them. You don't always like your husband's decision in the house, family, kids, moms, right? But at the end of the day, it rests with him. And if he's in the wrong, God knows. Let God deal with him. He'll do a lot better job than you will. And within the church, God called me here. And if you believe that, and you did because it was unanimous, then trust God to lead his church and if you don't like the way your pastor is leading then you pray that he follows faithfully the voice of God and the leading of God and if you still don't like then maybe it's not the pastor who's in the wrong God turns the hearts of kings like a river He'll turn this pastor's heart. Pray for your leaders. Whether it's the government, whether it's the local church, or whether it's in your marriage. God is more than able. And we know that He's working things together for good. It don't always go our way, right? I mean, some of our greatest moments of growth is in the midst of pain. We were reflecting as we were looking through some of the videos we had redone. And I used to look back on my first 10 years of ministry as very painful. And there was a lot of problems that we had to deal with in our previous ministry. And just a lot of things that we quietly and just submissively just rolled with. But distance will give you perspective, won't it? And we sat there the other day and we said... Praise God 
there was a lot of fruit that came out of that ministry. In the midst of all the mess that was happening above us and around us, there was some fruit, and God was doing something. And so sometimes that's part of our faith walk, isn't it? Trusting God. And again, that doesn't mean there were many times that we didn't like, and and we would pray, and we would also do this. We would come alongside a brother and say, Hey, I love you, but this concerns me. And so, again, the peace of God, in the context of what Paul's writing, he recognizes with the potential of exposing false doctrines and teachings, it could cause some other divisions, it could potentially lead to hardness of heart. And, and so, in the midst of conflicts, and know that that's going to arise because we're family. And again, if you say it ain't happening at your house, well, let me come spend a week with you. Just make sure you feed me some good protein. I like chicken, I like steak, anyway. The unity of the body is a strong argument for peace among the members. Notice here what else it says. So he says the peace of God. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. Not only were you called to be elect, not only were you called to salvation, not only were you called to put off the old man and put on the new man, you were called to be one in body. My pinky is not going to do good out there on its own. There is no such thing as long ranger Christians. Don't let anybody ever try to tell you that. And if you want to know why you don't have peace in your life, it's because you are forsaking the local gathering. Oh, did he go there? Yes, I did. Because I'm saying it on the authority of Scripture. God puts this in His Word for a reason. He combines this for a purpose, guys. When we're not focused on the local church as Christ intended it to be, then we're not functioning at capacity. The the way I'm going to understand the Word of God is in these gatherings. When we come together, when our youth is getting together and and our children are, are, are being discipled, when we're having prayer group, when we're having these ministry opportunities, it's not because we don't got nothing better to do. Though I can't think of anything better to do. It's to build us up. It's to bond us together. The bond of perfection is to create love for one another. It's that the family spends time together. This is one of the reasons why I love my family. This is one of the reasons why we chose to homeschool. I love doing life, ministry, school with my family. Newsflash, I love doing life with you guys. This is why I'm excited about golf ministry. This is why I'm excited about men's ministry. Right now, we got some women doing life together. Hey, ladies, there they are. At a conference. Seniors, you love doing life together, right? Youth group, they love doing life together. This isn't a show up, go home. And if you're only experiencing a Sunday morning, I'm telling you, you are missing. You are missing out on the peace of God. And so Paul is reminding them of the importance of we are called to be one in body. And be thankful. 
be thankful. Don't let the distances, you know, we did. Now, I always think I was, we were thankful to some extent with, with the ministry we were in, not so much the circumstances. But definitely be thankful. And then we see the Word of God. And notice what it says here. The Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. The gospel is the Word of Christ. So again, if you want, Paul's saying, look, if you want to know how to, he gives us the answer to how, how to have peace. How to have peace. You're not going to have peace if the Word of Christ isn't dwelling in you richly. The umpire on your heart's not going to be able to inform your conscience if your conscience doesn't know the rules of life. Now, I use that cautionary because I don't like to refer to God's Word as rules because it's not. We're under grace. We're not under law. You know, you think of the guardrails, right? You know, we, I think our speaker talked about this last time as well. But those guardrails, you know, I don't say, oh, stupid guardrails in the mountains. I don't need you. No, we don't do that. A lot of times when you're on some of those mountain roads that are winding and it's like, oh, my soul, this is a narrow road. And, and my wife's like closing her eyes. And I'm like, just go to sleep, honey. I can't go to sleep. I'm nervous. <laughs> but those guardrails are there. And we're like, whoo, I'm thankful the guardrails are there. Right? So it's kind of think about it as, as, as lanes, you know, to operate in. And we've got the boundaries. And so the Word of God is meant not to restrain us. It's actually meant to set us free. And you're not going to experience life abundantly if you don't understand life abundantly. My life's hidden in Christ. That's why he says, don't put your mind on the things of the earth. Set your mind on things above. Seek those things uh, which are above. And so once again, in the context of what Paul's talking about here, if you're not allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, you're not going to know this. That word dwell... In us, it means to keep house. Keep house. Not as a servant in a family who's under another's control, but as a master who has a right to prescribe to and direct all under his roof. We must take our instructions and directions from it and our portion of meat and strength, of grace and comfort in due season as from the master of the household. David Guzik. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Spurgeon said the last year of his life, he had many battles to fight. He was involved in the downgrade controversy, which was the liberal movement in England. He pointed out modernism in the Baptist Association. They turned viciously and attacked him. They terribly undermined his character which nearly killed Spurgeon. When things got too rough and he didn't know what to do, Spurgeon said, I would get by myself somewhere and sing. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Music comforts the heart. But if you want to have peace, we've got to let Christ rule and reign in our heart. And then we must allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly. In all wisdom, teaching, 
and admonishing. You've got a positive there in teaching, you've got a negative in admonishing. Again, you see the differences. I love the fact that Paul highlights the differences here in the body of Christ as well as the music, the diversity of music. You see the diversity here of giftedness. Again, I recognize not all of you are a prophet. <laughs> Boy, that would be a nice business meeting, wouldn't it? <laughs> I joke. But some of us are. Some of you are administrators. Some of you have the gift of mercy. It's beautiful when we recognize the different giftedness and how God has put us together to work together in one body. So let that dwell in you. Let that uh, word teach you and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Paul makes a distinction between the psalms, which are poetic songs, and accompanied by musical instruments, hymns, which are songs of praise. That's that vertical worship. And spiritual songs, which are composed songs by like Christian testimonies and Christian experience. I think really the uh, Revelation is a great uh, kind of you know testifying about worthy is the Lamb and you know who has brought us here. You know that that idea of what Christ has done for you. One of the things we recently talked about in our worship seminars that our music department and they're focusing on this and they have and we've got a great music department. Our singing, and I want you to be aware of this in your own personal life. The music you're listening to and filling your heart with, is it man-centered or God-centered? When it comes to worship, I'm talking about worship. Because even in our churches, we have songs that strike up the emotion that's really not much different than me as a kid. Oh, but myself. Because it's, it's inward focus. Oh, I love this song. It just makes me feel so good. Well, I'm not the center of the universe, even though my dad calls me son. <laughs> anyway, that got me a paddling in eighth grade, by the way. <laughs> God's the center. And so our songs in worship should be God-centered. When we come in here and worship, we should come in here with an audience of one in mind. Praise be to God. So, with that said, let's close it out. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. Do all in the name of Christ. Guys, it's not about you and me, it's about His namesake. And everything we do in this life counts for his honor and glory and we need to be mindful church as one body that if we're not experiencing peace in our own individual lives we're not experiencing peace in in the local church or just not experiencing peace in your circumstances let christ be the umpire let his word rule and reign in our hearts and that means we're going to have to spend time with him and with one another so that we might spur on one another to good works. I was encouraged the other day, Dean came up to me, Pastor Dean, and said, you know, he said, I, I, I appreciated the opportunity the other night at the basketball game. He did the devotion and said a young man that was playing in the All-Star game came up to him and said, you know, I like what you're doing here.
And he said he was intent during the lesson, just in tune, listening. Guys, we've got an opportunity of outreach that's not just outreach. It's in reach. They're coming in our door. They're coming in from our neighborhood. This is why we exist. To reach the lost and to make disciples so that we will grow in peace, allowing the word of Christ to richly dwell within us so that whatever we do, we do in the name of Christ. We carry His name. We carry His name. Don't lose sight of whose you are. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And then the last thing was give thanks. He don't have to use any of us. I'm thankful. I am thankful. He's allowed me the privilege to simply be used for His namesake, for His grace, for His glory. And as long as He'll let me to continue to serve Him, I want to serve Him. And I hope that's your attitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you, Lord, that, the, that Christ rules and reigns in our heart. If we allow, I mean, we, can, we battle with flesh and, and spirit. We, we can, sure, we can keep on the old garment. We can, we can do things our way. We can, we can try to... Uh, handle problems and conflicts in our own strength. And we do from time to time. We blow it. We mess up. We, we struggle. We fall down. That's life. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to remain there. We don't have to live in that past. We don't have to live in that defeat. We don't have to live uh, based upon the scars of the past. No. You said we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll stop believing the lies of the enemy and we'll stop being subjects of his fiery darts and shooting one another. Lord, forgive us when we do that. Help us to know the importance of peace within the body. Help us to allow the word of God and the order of, that you've established to lead us and guide us. That you'll be the head of this church. And we'll just simply follow. And so, Lord, help us to be good teammates. Recognizing the, the gifts of one another. Loving one another serving one another, submitting to one another. And Lord, when we fail, and when others fail around us, let the bond of perfection be love. Let us extend grace upon grace. And so Father, in this closing moment, I just ask again that you work in our hearts. Help us to return to the local church, Lord, in, in a passion, in a recognition and desire of you love the church. You gave your life for her. It's not a building. It's the people that gather here at this building. And Lord, our hearts are encouraged and edified when we look around the room and we see a good group. Our hearts are encouraged when we go out of our way and invite folks and we see folks come that we've invited. When we have guests come through the door and we have the opportunity to share the gospel of Christ, that's encouraging. That's edifying. That builds up. That brings joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, Lord, don't let anyone here think that, eh, I've got other things. I've got other priorities that, that are taking place. Lord, I promise we will get to you one day and we'll recognize the things we deemed as priority were nothing but dung. Oh, they're important to us at the time. 
Yeah, they, we, we justify and we make excuses. And, and we've even softened the conscience to, to be all right with it. But Lord, your plan's always best. And this is your family. And just like the families around this room fully, fully understand the importance of their family and their love for one another. Let that be the heart that's in, in us, that's in your heart, Lord, as a, as a heavenly father, desiring his family to come together and sit at the dinner table. And so, Lord, let us look to you in that. And I thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In the mighty name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord.